Well, welcome to class. And uh, in class, we will have three presenters. I always have this great joy when I can be with the physicians and team teach with them. And so, Brian Brock, thank you for the opportunity of being together. In 15 minutes, I'm going to look at three aspects of praying with patients. First, the biblical theology of praying with patients. Second, the impact on patients as we pray with them. And third, how to bridge into praying with patients. The Apostle Paul, in the middle of the first century, was imprisoned in the Mamertine prison in Rome. Mamertine prison is a uh, dark, damp, dingy dungeon. It's about 700 miles, 800 miles from Philippi. And the Apostle Paul had been to Philippi. He had raised up a Christian congregation there. And while he was in prison in Rome, his heart was longing for those in Philippi. They were, he was burdened for them. And he began to pray for them. One thing about intercessory prayer that is very clear is that intercessory prayer is biblical. And I want you to hear the heart cry of the Apostle Paul and feel the pathos of some of his prayers. We're looking at the book of Philippians, chapter 1. And Paul is in Rome, and Paul believes that as he gets on his knees and prays for his friends in Philippi, that his prayers are going to make a difference. He believes that although he's separated from them by miles, that as his prayers ascend to heaven, they'll make a dramatic impact on those who are still in Philippi. Now, I can't explain everything about intercessory prayer. Nobody can. The subject of intercessory prayer is infinite. But infinite things don't mean you can't study them. It means that the more you study them, you'll never exhaust them. And so the Apostle Paul prays, Philippians chapter 1, and we look there at verse 3. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy. So Paul says to the church at Philippi, I'm praying for you. I want you to be aware of that. If you let your eyes drop down to verse 9, Paul tells what he's praying about. He says, this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. So Paul says, I'm praying that your love for Christ will abound. I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will touch your lives. I'm praying that God's Spirit will strengthen you. So the first thing we notice is that the Apostle Paul believed in the ministry of intercession and that that ministry of intercession was part of Paul's DNA. Paul then in verse 19 talks about not his prayers for the Philippians, but the Philippians' prayers for him. And this is the text I want to concentrate on as a springboard into our discussion of patience and prayer. Paul says, Philippians 1.19, For I know that this, that is this imprisonment, this challenge, this difficulty, I know this will turn out for my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. It's a very strange text. Paul says, I know because you're praying for me, the trial that I'm going through is going to turn out for my salvation. Wasn't Paul saved by the grace of Christ? Why would he say this trial is going to turn out for my salvation? The word salvation is soteria in the Greek language. It can also be translated as my refuge. It can also be translated as this will turn out to be deliverance for me. I'm in prison. You're praying for me. But this will deliver me 
from earthly thoughts. It'll deliver me from discouragement. It will lift my spirits and encourage my heart. Another word for soteria that's an interesting word is well-being. So the text could be translated, I know that this imprisonment, this trial that I'm going through, will be well be it will turn out to my well-being or my therapy. When you pray for your patients, that prayer is a mode of therapy for them. When you pray for your patients, you are and as you pray for them, it enables them to have well-being. Now there are four things that a physician's or dentist prayers do for the patients. I call them this. They the first thing that the, the, our prayers do, when we pray for a patient, what happens in that patient's heart or life? The first thing is confidence. The, as we pray for them, they develop confidence in the health care provider. Their confidence grows. They say, this man is a man who takes my disease, my medical condition, seriously. There's that sense of confidence that grows. They have confidence that this person is a man of prayer. They have confidence that this woman is a woman of prayer. They have confidence that there's a divine hand guiding in their treatment, that it's not simply a humanistic modalities. So the first thing that happens when you pray for a patient, when you touch them on the shoulder, when you take them by the hand, is that there is this sense of confidence that's being built in their heart and mind, in their life, in you as a healthcare provider. The second thing that happens when you pray for them is that there's a spirit of peace or a calm that co comes across over them. As you take their hand and you're praying, they may have felt an anxiety, they may have felt a nervousness, they may have felt a tension, but not only are they building a confidence in you that there's a divine hand guiding if you're a surgeon and you pray for them, there's a divine hand guiding. I have friends that are surgeons and will take Nathan Green's little postcards that are so beautiful on the, uh, the divine surgeon, the master surgeon of Christ in an operating room by the side of a surgeon. And they'll write a little note or write a little prayer and they'll say, I'm praying for you and give them a text and put that postcard in the hand of that person pre-op. And uh, that individual develops this calm, this peace, this surgeon is not alone. Two things that happen when you pray for a patient. One, they develop confidence in you. There's a divine hand guiding. Second, they develop a sense of calm. There's a third thing that happens, and that is as you pray, God gives you wisdom. You're praying, and you may not be quite sure of the outcome or there may be a medical uh, treatment that you haven't thought of for this particular patient. But as you're praying, God can give you wisdom in treatment. The fourth thing that happens as we pray is this, that God works wonders. God works wonders. I love Great Controversy, page 525, that says, God will do an answer to the prayer of faith, that which he wouldn't do if we did not thus pray. Or Ministry of Healing 509, prayer and faith will accomplish what no power on earth can accomplish. There are some significant studies that have been done on prayer and healing. Now, one of the things I was interested in, I've always been interested in the Dr. Randolph Bird studies that took place with uh, patients that had just gone through cardiac surgery. And Bird studies were done over 20 years ago now. 
and uh, his studies revealed that people that were prayed for, although they may not even know that they were prayed for, had uh, much quicker results in healing. They didn't have as much medication that they needed to take and that their recovery time was quicker. His studies and the results were questioned by the medical community for a great deal. And recently there has been a study that has taken a look at 200 studies on prayer. And uh, it's a very fascinating study. I have looked at it quite carefully. And what it's come to the conclusion is, is that although we don't know everything and why, that intercessory prayer makes a difference in the hearts and minds and lives of people that you're praying for. So there are four things that happen when a physician prays. First, the patient gains confidence. Second, the patient senses that, that you care and they have a calm and a peace. Thirdly, the patient, the physician themselves, has wisdom that comes from God. And uh, fourthly, we open the door of opportunity for God to work wonders. Now, Dr. James Tulsi is a palliative care specialist at Duke University, and he puts it this way. He says, to ignore spirituality is to ignore the central piece of what it means for many to be a patient. To ignore spirituality is to ignore the central piece of what it means for the individual to be a patient. Now, if you withhold a treatment because you do not believe that the patient wants that treatment, but yet that treatment can help to enhance the patient's quality of life, what do we call that? If in your mind you choose not to give the patient a treatment because you're afraid the patient won't accept the treatment, but yet science indicates that the treatment will facilitate healing, what do we call that? We call that malpractice, right? I probably shouldn't go there. But uh, my question probably would be is, if indeed the research indicates that spirituality and prayer helps to increase health and facilitates healing, and we withhold it because we don't think the patient wants it, what might that be called? Well, we'll let you think about that. Um, now, Dr. Tulsi suggests a question for physicians to ask or for dentists to ask. And here's the question he asked. He said he asked it to thousands of patients and not once did he get a negative response. Here's the question Tulsi asks. What role, if any, does faith play in your life? So as he's sitting down and talking to them, and he's talking to them about, let's suppose a person comes in with a stomach ailment. He'll say, now, when did this ailment begin? And how did this, um, can you trace any life event that where you felt, began to feel this sharp pain? Is the pain in your left side of the stomach or the right? Um, how sharp is the pain? Is it kind of a pulsing pain or is it a sharp pain? And then he might say something like this to them as they're talking uh, about that. He begins to talk about what the possibilities are and so forth. And then he might say something like this to them. What role might faith play in your life? A question that I like to ask people uh, is this. Where do you find strength in times of crisis? Where do you find strength in times of crisis? So if I'm talking to a person that's going through a health crisis, they've been just, a woman has been just diagnosed that the lump under her arm is malignant. She's been told that she needs chemotherapy. She's frightened. She hasn't had her first chemotherapy treatment yet. And I'm a pastor sitting there. And I don't know whether she's a Christian or not. Uh, I've been called to visit her by her husband, who is a committed Christian. She's at the hospital ready for her first chemotherapy treatment. I might say to this, I might say something like this, you know, Joan, 
I'm really delighted to be able to sit down and chat with you for a few minutes. And uh, how do you feel about the diagnosis that you've gotten? Does it, does it scare you a little bit? Well, yes, Pastor, it really scares me. Has your physician explained to you the uh, ramifications of, of uh, chemotherapy? Yes, Pastor, he's really explained that to me. Uh, are you a little bit nervous about it? Are you a little bit anxious about it? Yeah, I'm really anxious about it, Pastor. Well, where do you find faith? Where do you find strength in a time of crisis? When you're going through a time of crisis, is there some place you can find strength in? And we begin to talk about where to find strength. We can find it in others, in the relationship we have in others. We can find it in, and then I point out, you know, all of us go through times of crisis in their lives, and I go through a time of crisis in my life, and um, I've gone through a number of times of crisis. I may tell about my own health crisis when I went through that some time ago, and simply say, I find it in prayer. I find a great strength in God. Now, there are there's some interesting studies that have been done. 1997 study revealed that 51% of all patients want and desire their physician or healthcare provider, dentist, 51% want you to initiate prayer in their life. 51%. They are looking for you to do that. Now, a whopping 90% believe that prayer will help in times of crisis. So 90% of the people that you see in your office, 90% of them, believe that prayer will help in a time of crisis. 51% are sitting there waiting for you to initiate prayer. If you fail to do that, you have let down 51% of your patients, which is rather significant in my thinking. There are a few questions that I like to ask patients when I visit with them, either in the hospital, regarding prayer. The first question that we ask that we've gone on is general faith question. What role does faith play in your life, if any? It's a non-threatening question. Second question that I ask them is, where do you find strength in time of crisis? Now, when we bridge to prayer at the end of the visit, there are three questions that we ask. The first is this. I'll say something like this. Many patients find comfort as I offer to pray with them. Would you like me to pray with you as well? See, it's very gentle. Many patients find comfort as they often to pray with them. Would you like me to pray with you as well? Secondly, I often find renewed strength through prayers. I face challenges in my life. You know, we all face challenges and I often find renewed strength in my life. Would you like me to pray for you for renewed strength? And then a question that Brian asks all of his patients, it's very non-threatening, but I really like Brian, and that is, Brian will say at the end of a visit, I offer to pray with all of my patients. May I pray with you as well? That's a very nice way of bridging it for this reason. First, it doesn't indicate when you say to the person, uh, may I pray with you? And the person says, man, doc, I didn't think my, my sickness was that bad. I didn't think I was going to die. You know? so, but when Brian puts it that way, or when you put it this way, many of my patients find comfort as I pray with them. Would you like me to pray with you? Or I, I personally find renewed strength in prayer. So when you bridge into the prayer with your patients, it's quite important how you do that, that it doesn't give them the impression that they are going to die tomorrow, so therefore you better pray tonight. You, know. um, you don't want them to be more tense before you pray. I often find, offer to pray with all my patients, may I pray with you as well. Ellen White makes an interesting statement in Councils uh, to the Church, page 303. And she says, when human strength fails, 
men feel their need of divine help, and women too. And never does our merciful God turn from the soul that in sincerity seeks him for help. He is our refuge in sickness as in health. When human strength fails, many, many seek God for help. As you get up every morning and say, Jesus, I'm going to see 20 patients today, 25, depending on your practice. My son is in dermatology. He tells me he sees about 35 patients a day. Most cardiologists don't do 35 operations a day. But uh, however many patients you're seeing, as you get up in the morning and you say, Lord, open doors of opportunity for me to minister to my patients through prayer, your practice will have new energy. You will see your practice in new dimensions. Burnout will be less of a problem for you because every day becomes an exciting opportunity to share Jesus in the context of spirituality when you pray with your patients. Brian? All right. Well, thank you, Pastor Finley. So I now wake up every morning and I do pray, Lord, please direct me to someone today that I can minister to. Um, when I first started out in practice, my ministry was confined to helping the church with a stop smoking seminar, helping the church with CHIP, um, and going on a mission trip for a week or two. And, uh, but my practice was my practice, and so I didn't really mix the two. I didn't know how to, to do that. <clears throat> and I didn't really t- learn how to do, have a spiritual conversation. So I can remember about 14 years ago, so I'm a cardiologist, I work in a cath lab. You work with a team. <clears throat> Most of the people I work with are pretty young, hip, um, people that, you know, I felt, no, if I just stopped and prayed, I'd be embarrassed uh, what they would think. I didn't feel comfortable with it. I felt that I'd be, it'd be embarrassing. I thought that I'd be afraid of rejection because who in the world is gonna want me to do that? And I didn't know how to do it. <clears throat> and so there was a lady Um, 63 years old, who had been down in South Carolina, had had a massive heart attack. They just quickly stented one vessel, but their doctor called me and said, she's going to be back up to see you in a few weeks. She needs heart surgery. She's got a critical left main stenosis. We didn't do anything with that. Um, But not having her pictures, and and she got back up to us about two months later, we decided to repeat her cardiac cath. And so in the cath lab, we engage the coronary artery with a catheter and immediately the blood pressure just dives. Her rhythm goes almost flat, not quite, but she just becomes extremely unstable. And we verify once again that that was indeed a critical left main artery occlusion and she needs to go to the operating room, not in a few minutes, but right now. <clears throat> and so the operating team literally comes into our cath lab. There's a bunch of nurses. All of a sudden, instead of having four people helping me, there's 20 people in the room. And the cardiac anesthesiologist came in and he just all of a sudden stood up and said, everybody, can I just have a silence for one moment? I'm just gonna say a prayer for her. And I looked at him and watched and my staff looked and watched and I just thought, ugh, I should have done that. And, uh, but I didn't know how to do that. And to make it even worse, these young, hip um, people that I was afraid to be embarrassed around all said afterwards, wow, did you see that? That was pretty neat. And then I really thought, boy, I should have been doing that. It was just a, almost about a month later that I came to the first, um, actually a pre-meeting for Amen at Cahutta Springs in Georgia, and Pastor Finley gave us some tips on how to pray with patients. And I became convicted that I needed to start practically applying that. And so when I got back the very next day in my office, 
I began looking for some patients that might be interested in praying. And I'd usually pick out the conservative-looking ones, the, <clears throat> the, we live in the Bible Belt, but looked out the ones um, that I thought might want it. But eventually it got to the point where I needed, I felt convicted I needed to offer to pray with everyone. So Pastor Finley convinced me that, number one, it's not unethical to pray with patients, um, that actually patients really appreciate it, so you're not likely to be turned down. Um, and there is a power to prayer. So prayer is the power. If people could give up the smoking habit with their own willpower, they would have done it a long time ago. If they could make lifestyle changes just by working hard at it, they would have done it. But they need power in their life, so it's the source of power. And very much it opens up a spiritual conversation. So um, I became convicted after a few months of trying this that I was targeting the wrong people. It was the people dressed like motorcycle gangsters or rough guys with tattoos up and down their arms. They're the ones that would start sobbing like a baby when you offer to pray with them. They would say nobody has ever offered to do that. And so one story I love to tell is a, and is a patient named Stephen. And uh, Stephen's given me permission to tell this story. So that's his real name. Um, but Stephen came in wearing just cut off sleeves, a leather vest, a bandana around his head, long hair, um, in jeans, he looked like, and he rode a motorcycle. He looked like a pretty rough guy. And uh, he'd had chest pain, was seen in the emergency room. From the sounds of it, I thought it was probably not his heart. But he had every single risk factor. And I don't remember all of his values now, but his cholesterol was nearly double uh, what normal should be. His blood pressure was in the 170s, over 90s range. It was quite high. Um, he smoked. Um, he drank heavily on the weekends. He was under a lot of stress. He worked down in Cincinnati about 45 minutes away, but it would take a long time to get there. And so to deal with the stress, he said he just pretty much partied on the weekends. Um, he had a strong family history of heart disease and he was also diabetic. He weighed about 380 pounds. <clears throat> and uh, we, we saw him. Um, we uh, did a stress test. I proved that this pain he had wasn't cardiac pain. Um, and I just had one last visit with him because he didn't need to keep coming back to see me. But at that, at that visit, when I met with him for the stress test, I said, by the way, Stephen, I said, you're, this pain was not your heart. You're not having a heart attack, but you are on a track that is going to lead to a heart attack very soon. You're going to go the same way your dad did in his 50s. You're, at this time it wasn't, but you're, with all the risk factors that you have, you have every single risk factor. You're overweight. You uh, binge drink, you smoke, you're diabetic, you have high blood pressure, high cholesterol. All these things are the poster child for heart disease. And I offered him a few solutions. I, one of the things I tell people is I won't ask you to do anything. I won't ask you to do anything I don't do myself. And they usually breathe a sigh of relief. And then I start telling them what I do. Don't smoke, don't drink. I eat a plant-based diet. I don't even drink caffeine. They're about ready to pass out. And, but so usually I, t I focus on one thing with a patient like Stephen. Let's just work on his smoking. Let's maybe just work on his obesity. But for some reason, I just felt impressed that I'm at least going to tell him the ideal. And so I told him all the things I do. And I uh, said, Stephen, I just recommend that we, and I told him, we can get you to a dietitian. Um, but I didn't really give him any resources. I didn't offer him a CHIP program. I just told him what he needed to be. Here's your ideal weight. You should go on a plant-based diet. Um, you need to stop smoking. 
Um, binge drinking is killing you, and you're talking about how your family is, your wife's ready to leave you, your family's in shambles. I said, you need to find a church group. <clears throat> and, uh, and, and so as I end all my patient encounters, I said, by the way, one of the things I offer to do is have a prayer. Is that something you'd appreciate? And he's this big, rough guy who immediately starts crying. And he says, you know, I was raised in church. I haven't been back in over 15 or 20 years. He said, that's what I need to do. And he held my hand and we prayed and he sobbed like a baby. And we scheduled a follow-up appointment for a year later because he didn't have heart disease at this time. He's going to follow up with his primary care doctor. I didn't plug him into any resources. A year later, he came back. Um, he'd lost over 100 pounds. Um, he'd stopped drinking. He'd stopped smoking. He had joined a church. He came in in a shirt, a tie, and was clean cut. He had gotten a different job. He says, my relationship with my wife is great, and he was on a plant-based diet. (laughs) And at that point, I was very shocked. I said, Stephen, how in the world did you make these changes? He goes, oh, it's simple. You prayed with me. And so that gave me the power to make the changes in his life. It's just because I challenged him and prayed with him that he felt that he could make that difference. Now, I've learned a lot since then, and I now target people in the chip and uh, get them into resources that help them. And we've got a lot more resources as we've been doing that. Um, but that um, was an example of just the power of prayer to radically change someone's life. Um, Lindy and I saw him three years later at what we call a homorama, but it's where builders build fancy houses. And you can go two or four or five of them in a row. And they talk about there's somebody that opens the door and invites a large group in. And they're supposed to say, this house was built by John Brown. It's 7,000 square feet. It's got the latest in kitchen appliances. It's got the best granite. It's got in-home theater. It's got all this stuff. And they tell you about the house, and you can wander around and see it. And so Lindy and I had gone to one of these. About 20 people walk into the door, and there's this guy I just kind of recognize, don't quite recognize. It turns out he looks at me, and he does a double take. He says, I know you. And I looked at him and said, yeah, you, he looks familiar. And he goes, no, this is my doctor. And so instead of talking about the house, he tells 20 people in the room, this is the guy that prayed with me. And he got me to, I'm no longer diabetic. I'm not on medications for high blood pressure. I lost over 120 pounds. And uh, he gives the whole spiel to the whole group there because he can't help but testify to the power of just one prayer to change um, his life. And so now I end every single encounter with... One of the things I offer to do with all my patients is to have a prayer. Is that something you'd appreciate? If they say no, which has only happened probably less than 20 times in 10 years, I write a little MP at the bottom of my chart. Now we put it into the electronic record so I don't keep haranguing them over and over and over. Um, But it has the power to open the door to their heart. The other thing that prayer does is it makes people know that it's okay to have a spiritual conversation. We may not have it right today, Um, But as physicians, as dentists, we have access to people of all walks of life. Um, People across town that live in ghetto that I wouldn't want to go to, they come to my office. But so does the CEO who flies around in his corporate jet. He comes to my office. The chief of the fire department, the chief of the police department, a couple of towns nearby all come to my office. We have access to a lot of people. So I offered to have a prayer with the chief of the fire department. No big deal. He said, well, that's cool. If you want to do it, it's fine. Um, Doesn't help me, but if it helps you, it's fine. So I (laughs) said, you know, it does help me, so I'll pray. So I said a prayer with him. No big deal. He comes back. I see him a year later. 
<clears throat> one year later, he says, Doc, you're a spiritual person. And I said, oh, where's this going? He says, why do you believe that the Bible is inspired? And all of a sudden, we have a 30-minute conversation. My nurse has a knock on the door saying, you're backed up. You better get caught up. And he thanks me for talking about prophecy and, and why I put faith in the Bible. A year later, he asked me, Doc, you know, you talked about the Bible. You really believe that the earth was created uh, literally just in seven days? And we had another 20-minute conversation about that. And so he started going to church, not an Adventist church, but he started going to church just because we perked his interest by just being willing to have a spiritual conversation. There's story after story after story. I saw a lady just the last time, last uh, a week ago, when I was in the office who had been referred by another patient, so I know she already knows what's going to happen. And so we get to the end, and I just kind of pause. That's just decided I was in a mood. I was just going to see where this was going. And I said, so is there anything else I could do for you? <laughs> she looks at me kind of startled and I said, well, there's something else. And she goes, uh, 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 I said, okay, one of the things I offer to do is have a prayer. I said, so you knew that, right? She says, yeah, that's the only reason I came. <clears throat> and so it's actually been really, really good for business because I pray with patients. One lady, went, one lady who's an elder in her church said, I went to my church and I testified. And all of a sudden, I saw five African-American people in my, in my office two weeks later because she testified in church about the doctor that prayed with her. She even brought her daughter back, who was 23 years old. When I was talking to her on the table, I was like, why in the world is she here? And finally, I said, why in the world are you here? There's nothing wrong with you. And she said, oh, I just wanted her to have a doctor who prayed with her. I don't know how to bill that. I don't, <laughs> I don't think we did. But there is a definite power to prayer. The last thing I want to say is that no longer do I see my medical practice as just a job. This has had a huge transformative effect on, my, on me personally, spiritually, that my, med my medical practice is now a ministry. And this was just the start. We pray with our, our staff now every Monday morning when they look forward to this. We uh, try to have Bible studies with patients. It's just the start of a spiritual process just by offering to have a prayer. So, Brock, you want to come on up? The microphone is working if you do want it. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Um, just by introduction, I have a wife, uh, Heidi, and three children, uh, two boys, uh, 12 and 10, and a little girl that's five. Uh, we live in the country. Um, in Michigan and we have horses and, and other animals and we just feel very blessed uh, to be there. I have a, a dental practice in Cadillac, Michigan and one in Gladwin, Michigan and I'm going to talk about my journey up to this point in praying with with patients and sharing my testimony from a dental practice perspective and I know there are a variety of backgrounds here today, uh, but I, I hope you can gain something from this as well. Yes, I am a dentist by occupation, but I understand my job is spreading the gospel. Over the past 22 years, I have become very proficient in dentistry, but not so much in my job. And I joined Amen a little over a year ago to become better at my job. Over the years, I've gone on many mission trips, 
I have had many spiritual conversations with patients, given spiritual material to patients, prayed for patients, but prior to amen, I am regretful to say I never prayed with a patient. And when I was presented with the idea of praying with patients, it was Brian's presentation. Um, I was I was filled with apprehension and anxiety, uh, trying to imagine how that would work in a dental practice. And I had some I had some questions come up in my mind. It's like, how how does that work in a dental practice? I move from room to room very efficiently. Um, my hygienists often provide the anesthesia. The patients are laid back. I go in, do the procedure, and just, I, I could not imagine it happening. Another question I had that came up in my mind is, do I pray with everyone or just a few? Um, if people are coming to me to address their dental health, should I be praying for them? I mean, it's not like they have cancer or something, right? And I'm a, a naturally a quiet, more reserved person and um, you know, conscientious about personal privacy and isn't praying with patients kind of an invasion of that personal privacy. So I had all these questions running through my mind because it was, it was a significant thought to me to pray with patients. It was, it was a hurdle. So this, this challenge to pray with patients really drove me to my knees. And, you know, I saw it as a God-sized problem, and I needed a God-sized answer. So through that prayer time, the Lord impressed me the first step I needed to take, and that was to focus on my personal prayer time and devotional life. And... I understood that that needs to be consistent and meaningful for me to be able to move that to my patients. And so I began being persistent in my prayer life and personal devotion time and consistent and persistent. And what I found was the more persistent I was, the more I felt like it. Because I, you know, I know that prayer ultimately changes me. It is an act of worship. It is that moment where I voluntarily invite the creator God of the universe into my life. And because you know, my prayers aren't necessarily powerful, God is powerful. And God wants me to be persistent in my prayer because he knows without his power, I am powerless. You're familiar with the verse in Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 26. Uh, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Spirit cannot help in my weaknesses if I do not know him. And the foundation of an effective prayer life is my own personal uh, prayer and relationship with Jesus. And through this prayer time, I came to realize one of the things that was very unsettling to me. I have approximately 30 patients 
a day, five days a week that I need to see? Am I only to pray with a few of them? Um, those who I have time for? Uh, those who have shared struggles with? Uh, doesn't everyone need prayer? I could not see how I could pray with everyone. But as I, I spent time with God, I believe he led me to do this. At the end of the work day, I pull up the following day's schedule, and I take a picture of that uh, with my phone. It has all the patients' names on it. So in my morning devotions the following day, I pray for each patient, specifically by name, and ask that the Lord would bless them and that um, an opportunity to witness would arise from that. And, and in this way, every patient was prayed for, and I was feeling better about it. But I had to ask myself, was I feeling better because I didn't have to put myself out there and pray with the patient? Maybe. The next step the Lord asked me to look at was the music in the office. And you know what it's like to have a team of individuals who all have different musical tastes. There's always a problem with the type of music that is being played. So I made, took executive action and made the decision to play only God-honoring music. My family and I listened to a couple of DVD series and we were impressed that you know, through the science of music and the effect it has on the brain and spirituality that we really threw a lot of music out and that carried over into the practice and it, and it just gave the practice a very uh, spiritual uh, setting because music affects mood and the wrong music played all day long will affect spirituality in the office and my ability to pray with patients. I have many patients who are atheists and who not, do not believe in Jesus. And if they bring up um, that they don't appreciate the music, I say something along the lines, you know, this, this music helps me feel at peace and calm. And I'm sure those are qualities you want in your dentist who is running a high-speed drill in your mouth. <laughs> and I say that with a smile on my face, kind of having fun with the question. And they usually respond with something like, yep, that sounds good to me. <laughs> so it really hasn't been a problem. Through inspiration, we learn that music is a form of worship like prayer. So I felt it played a very important role in the practice. Ellen White said in Patriarchs and Prophets, chapter 58, page 594, music was made to serve a holy purpose to lift the thoughts to that which is pure, noble, and elevating, and to awaken in the soul devotion and gratitude to God. And later on in that same verse, she said, singing is as much an act of worship as is prayer. This is a critical point, I feel. Music is very important. We want to direct our patients' minds, hearts, and souls to God. Another point that came out of my prayer time is this. Yes, praying with my patients is important, but what about my team? I call them my team instead of a staff because a team works together and a staff is an infection. So, isn't that right, Brian? Yeah. I have for a long time 
prayed in morning huddles in at team meetings um, I've given my team spiritual materials over the years our church had an evangelistic series this spring and some of the team came out to hear me present one evening, and I believe that was a direct result of prayer. And most of all, I just I just been more persistent in praying for my my team, and they have. There's just a sense of openness with spiritual things. It's really changed in that regard, and I'm I'm excited to see what the Lord will do with that in the future. So up to this point, I've shared some changes that I've made concerning praying with patience other than actually praying with patience so i felt these were good steps i was you know seeking to achieve the goal of, of praying with patience um, and ultimately the goal of fulfilling my job and fulfilling the great commission so this brings us back to the god-sized problem of praying with my patience in a very busy day where I have to move from room to room. This is a system I believe God showed me to do at this time. And it's a simple one. My aim is to pause and pray with each patient before every procedure and exam. And patients know that is what I'm doing because I share it with them during new patient visits or at other appointments I share you will notice that I pause between or before every procedure and if you wonder why it is because I like to commit each procedure to God and ask for his blessing and guidance this only takes seconds to pray and it doesn't I can fit it in. It doesn't interrupt the flow. This is a consistent witness in faith in God and dependence on Him. You know, without saying anything, it causes patients to think about their relationship with God and His place in their life. And by silent witness, I'm showing the place God has in my life. So, in most cases, you know, when I, you know, I also, during the new patient uh, visit, after I share the, the reason behind my silent, silent pause, I ask to pray with them as well. And sometimes they're, they're longer, but many times they're short and focused and, you know, focused on um, thankfulness, but... Um, sometimes they are longer. Like when a, a young man asked me to pray for his country, Iraq, uh, that it would become a democracy, or a man shared that his wife had terminal cancer and had three to six months to live, and very emotionally shared the story, and we prayed together. It was a very powerful thing. And I believe these prayers do and have opened doors for more spiritual witness. And, you know, again, serving the purpose of to awaken in the soul devotion and gratitude to God. This prayer system is simply an entering wedge to make 
a statement of faith in the life of each person in a busy dental practice. And praying with patients isn't something I should do anymore. It is something that I am compelled to do. It is an opportunity to impact someone, not, not only for this life, but for eternity. I'd like to end with a story. And being a proud father, I have to work my kids into this presentation somehow. So our family was camping in the fall near a lake. And the children came running up to me and said, Daddy, let's go swimming. The water is warm. And I was thinking to myself, yes, the water feels warm because the air is freezing. And I was reluctant but agreed. I tried to live by the no regret principle. When presented with a decision to make, I asked myself two questions. Will I regret it if I do? And will I regret it if I don't? In this case, I decided that I would regret it if I didn't go swimming with the kids. So we changed and ran to the lake quickly. And I jumped in first, and the water was freezing. And I felt like my no regret principle was letting me down. <laughs> and it got deep fast. I made way, my way out into the water and began treading water, trying to warm up. And my little girl entered the water and started swimming towards me in her life jacket. And it was in the evening, the sun was setting there in the west, and it was casting this beautiful light on the water and my daughter's face. I wish I could have captured it with, you know, with a camera. And it was, it was a simple moment, and yet I was, I was struck with emotion. Because as she was swinging towards me, she had this expression of pure joy, trust, excitement. In anticipation of you know reaching her daddy in bracing him in safety and as she made her way toward me she put her arms around me around my neck and we just laughed and had this very special time together and it was in that moment that I realized that my no regret principle hadn't let me down as I reflected on that experience I felt that is how God desires in his heart to see us. I believe he would also be struck with emotion if we came to him with that same pure joy, trust, excitement, and anticipation. That experience is, is what inspires me to pray for my patients. Through my prayers, I am offering an encounter with an amazing God. And when I pray for them, I envision that same expression on the patient's face of pure joy, trust, anticipation, and excitement as they meet their creator, both in this world and their, in their time spent with him, but also as they are caught up in the air when Jesus comes to take them home. My patients are his children who he died for, who he wants to spend eternity with. It is my solemn responsibility to reach those who God has put into my life. The challenge I want to leave with you today, if you haven't already, is not to give up in this call to pray with your patients 
and to do the job we have all been called to do within your profession and to be persistent until God gives you an answer. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.